Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Happy Monday, America and beyond. Life, love, and liberty here. Going to talk a little about life, a whole lot about love, and what all of that has to do with your liberty. Another day in this crazy place called America that becomes more unrecognizable by the day. At least I think. And hey, guess what? For those of you who want to call in and be a part of the conversation, you can do that today. I'm very excited about that. We're back to it. Going to pretend like we're on a little bit of terrestrial air today. 404-383-8520. 404-383-8520. I know you're going to want to be a part of this conversation because I've heard from you guys privately. I, I put out a poll yesterday asking about apologetics. What is apologetics? What isn't apologetics? Is it um, archaic? Is it completely outdated? Do we need it now more than ever? Uh, do you even know what apologetics is? <laughs> and not really to my surprise, but uh, many of you did not. And I, full disclosure, I have just been um, a very straight up Jesus girl. Uh, I didn't know anything about apologetics either. I'm clearly, as most of you who follow me know, I'm not a scholar. I'm a very cerebral person, uh, but I'm also uh, a practical person. And so my faith is extraordinarily personal. My faith is very practical. I have served in ministry for over 12 years now, full time, and uh, have not always walked that straight and narrow path. As you can read my book, find that at my website. Uh, you can download it on Kindle. <laughs> uh, it's been a windy, straight, narrow path with the Lord, for sure, for over 20 years. So most of you are living through the same thing. And with socialization, with, with socialism, with fascism, with Marxism, communism, all of the isms uh, nipping at our heels really every day of our lives, most of us are asking, how did we get here, right? And for years, I've been screaming from the rooftop and didn't even really know I was doing uh, apologetics, if you will. My show started six years ago on Terrestrial Air, and the title was Faith, Life, and Politics. And people thought I was crazy because they couldn't believe that I would venture into the swampy waters of merging the two. But, but my very basic premise was this, and it was based on my own experience in ministry, that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, whether you're serving in office, if you're a mom, a stay-at-home mom, if you're a father who goes to work every day, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Christian, if you're a Taoist, if you're a Buddhist, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, every single space that you encompass, you're going to bring your faith with you, no matter what it is. And so as a person of faith, I was blessed with terrestrial airwaves to bridge that gap for people, to talk about what was happening in local state politics in the state of Georgia, 
as well as what was going on in the church or what wasn't going on in the church, right? And we had just started with a state RIFRA legislation, a bill, which is your restoration of your Religious Freedom Act. Okay, we have that on a federal level. But on a state level, you might recall that Georgia became like the focal point of every form of ideological corporate heist you can imagine. The whole LGBT community came out, not individual, gay individuals, bisexual, uh, lesbian, the whole, all of that. No, this was the corporate entity that always misrepresents, in my humble opinion, the hearts of people who are practicing, practicing homosexuality. I, that has been my stance from the beginning. To me, they are the equivalent of a Black Lives Matter. That's like saying that all black people are in favor of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is absolutely not true. These are politically, ideologically incentivized on, and geopolitically on top of that. It's not just an American issue. But the church has been, by and large, asleep, ab, ab, just complete abdication. And now whenever we go to talk about these things, we're put on FBI watch lists we're deemed as national threats to security because now we're showing up with the truth in love. I did notice that one of my brothers in Christ, I believe is a bishop, a black gentleman, his name escapes me, forgive me, but he's made his way through viral Twitterverse right now, who finally stood up in his podium and was like, no, we're not going to subscribe to this because that's not truth. And I was like, hallelujah, finally, but we're late. We're not too late. And I don't think we're too late only because of the grace of God. Because I believe where the church has failed, God is going to pick up that mantle and keep moving. And I look really ugly when I cry. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that right now. (laughs) Instead, I'm going to bring on my guest for today, who's going to talk to us about apologetics. What is it? What isn't it? There is no one, in my humble opinion, who is more capable of uh, of untangling this um, this this web of a conversation that has been so mangled, really, and adulterated by the church. And I think it is so uh, timely. It is so timely. This man's entire life's experiences between debating people such as Christopher Hitchens, uh, world-renowned Muslim scholars on every kind of stage you can think of. Uh, he's an author. He's a world traveler. To me, he's like the ultimate Renaissance man. Uh, and he's a Southerner. Yes, we love that. Uh, we've got with us today Larry Alex Taunton. You can find him at LarryAlexTaunton.com. He's the executive director of Fixed Point Foundation. He's an award-winning author, freelance columnist and producer. You've seen him on multiple networks. You've seen his work uh, in multiple uh, major platforms as well. He has, in fact, debated prominent atheists such as the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, also Muslims. Uh, He's been featured on Al Jazeera, uh, CNN, uh, in many, many stages. Uh, He has organized and chaired uh, symposiums on scientific and religious questions at Oxford University, Wow, uh, Edinburgh Literary Festival, Princeton University, and the now famous God Delusion Debate, which reached a global audience. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on, I'm going to try to, you guys know how I am with this live stream stuff, but here we go. Larry Taunton. Was I successful? How are you, Monica? (laughs) 
I'm great, sir. Thank you so much for your patience and for being here today. I really appreciate you. And I know my audience does. Uh, Well, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So listen, I saw your latest, well, not your latest, it it may have been your latest piece, but it was on apologetics. And I thought, (laughs) once again, you know, you're speaking my language. One of the pieces that caught my attention recently was about the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the church today. And I'm literally just doing a Holy Ghost dance around the house as I'm reading this piece, because for the past few years, I've been screaming from the rooftops, you know, with these anti-never-trumping, Christian, pearl-clutching, whatever, of Sadducees and Pharisees who really do lean on the gospel in order to make a case against President Trump as if the grace of God didn't extend to President Donald Trump. And so when I saw your piece, I was like, that's it. This is my brother in Christ. We got to connect. <laughs> so, Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. All right. So I'm just going to start, you know, just right off the bat. What is apologetics? It's defending the faith uh, in, in short. And that, that word apologetics, Monica, it comes to us from 1 Peter 3.15, which says, uh, always be ready to give answer for the hope that is in you. Um, and you know, that word that is there translated as, uh, as answer or in, in some translations as defense, always being ready to give answer or to give a defense for the hope that is in you. That word is apologia, uh, in the Greek. And it's where we get the word apologetics. And, uh, um, you know, that word can be applied to anything. You can be, uh, you know, an apologist of your favorite football team or, an apologist um, for your political party um, or for your favorite restaurant. But um, apologetics in, in this sense is defending the Christian faith. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people um, think the word, you know, means, you know, apologizing. We go around apologizing, you know, for the Crusades and the, you know, the Salem witch trials and for the fact that we are, that we are Christians. But it simply means defending the faith. Excellent. Thank you for clarifying that, because for the longest time, I thought the same thing. I was like, why on earth would I apologize for Christ? Why would I apologize for my faith? Hey, that was just- A lot of people do. That's the problem. That's the, right. the problem with the aforementioned people uh, in the article you know, that I wrote. You know, right. People like David French and you know, um, Tim Keller and Russell Moore and Beth Moore and so on. It feels to me like they fall into that category. But when we're talking about defending the faith and in your introduction, you actually said something, Monica, I was glad to hear you say. Um, and that is that you're an apologist. Um, you know, I think that uh, I wrote this particular piece, the problem with apologetics, because um, one of the major problems, it seems to me, with apologetics these days is not only um, are the um, you know the major apologists you know the, the the ones often with you know the big brands the big brand names and who are selling their books they're often fighting the wrong battles um, they're spinning their wheels on issues where no one is really fighting right. um, at the moment but another problem I don't like is that apologetics has come to be understood something like you know, we're God's special forces. You know, don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Leave it to me. I'm I'm the pro. That's so and that's not a biblical view of apologetics. You know, we are called, <clears throat> each of us, we're called to defend the faith, just as we're all called to evangelize. Um, you'll hear people say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. Well, 
whether evangelizing is your spiritual gift or not, you're called to do it. And apologetics is the same faith, uh, same way. Would you defend your wife? Would you defend your husband? Would you defend your children? Well, of course you would. Well, you should defend your God. You should defend your belief in your God. But that does require some practice. It requires some knowledge of your faith. And it requires some boldness. Sure. So along those lines, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, and I know my audience should be if they've been following me for any length of time, because I harp on this a lot and have started a Bible study because of it, which I'm loving. But only 3% of the Christian church, as of three years ago, that statistic was 3% of the Christian church actually reads their Bible. Were you aware of that? Um, doesn't shock me. I right. wouldn't have known, um, the number I would have thought it was just a you know a little higher than that, yeah. but, um, that, that does not shock me and you can't be an effective, um, apologist or evangelist, by the way, or, or just a, an effective Christian, Exactly. you know, if you're not in, if you're not in the word. Right. Exactly. Well, that's, that is my point is that, like you just said, you know, you would defend your wife, you would defend your child, you would defend your loved one. Okay. And I think, for a large part of the church, Jesus is not our loved one. I hate to say that. For the longest time, Larry, I had to get honest with myself, even up to you know recent months, where because God was very gracious to me whenever I first had my eyes open to scriptures, where they were no longer this foreign language to me. Uh, literally, it was like I had the keys to the kingdom, and suddenly the words just sprang off the pages, and I was like, wow, now thank you. My eyes are opened, and I see right? Like I am accepted. I am loved. I am adored. I am clean. I am favored. I am, you know, he knows every hair on my head. I'm provided for. I could go, I'm protected. I could go on and on and on about the things that were finally bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They were very personal to me, right? Excuse me. But for the longest time, Jesus was my savior, but he wasn't my Lord, and so I think there's a big difference. And I think one of the reasons why you could correct me or tell me what you think about this, because I want to get into the social aspect of what we see happening right now in the earth with regard to all the, you know, isms that we're having to contend with. And the church is just up in arms about it. But I think by and large, I don't, I wonder how many Christians, if I were to poll them on Twitter, how many could honestly say that Jesus was their Lord because because the evidence would suggest otherwise, because we are not defending our children. We have not been defending the cause for, uh, for the nuclear family. Uh, and for all, you know, now we're all up in arms and everybody's angry, but anger doesn't solve it. Anger could be a good, uh, you know, uh, uh, impetus, but if you're going to show up to society or show up in your school boards or show up at your church or show up at, you know, wherever you are, where people are questioning you about your faith, well, where is Jesus? Where is God? Where has the church been? What has the church done to society throughout the years? If you can't give an answer based on your love relationship, then to me, Paul nailed it on the head. You are nothing more than a clanging symbol. So where have we dropped the ball? How Can we even pick up the ball at this point from your perspective, having traveled the globe and having debated some of the greatest, most 
heels dug into their particular belief system individuals on the planet. How do we overcome this and can we? Wow. It's uh, it's uh, that's a big question. And let me begin. Uh, let me let me just back up and and say where I think the 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 problem um, really began. Um, I, I or you know, there's no real absolute beginning, but at least you know partially, you know, where it began. I think that Christians in this country became a, a far too comfortable in uh, in assuming that they lived in uh, basically a Christian nation and that they were not under threat. And, um, you know, when I was in graduate school um, at the University of Alabama, I'm working on my master's degree, I'm working towards a PhD uh, in history, and I'm teaching there. I'm teaching as a graduate, you know, teaching um, assistant, um, and uh, I'm teaching Western civilization um, uh, class, just to use this as an example. Uh, Again, this was 30 years ago. Uh, It became very clear to me um, that the students who were coming into the university were um, not being taught uh, basic uh, Western civilization, and they weren't being taught um, the basics of their own country's history. Uh, they didn't really seem to have any real knowledge um, of the Declaration of Independence, of the idea of natural rights, um, and they didn't know really at what Price their own freedom had been purchased. Now these are these are major problems. But then I began really seeing what was being taught, not just at a university level, but was was being taught at a secondary level right. in public schools, uh, in private schools, and it was a virulent um, a form of secularism, very corrosive to faith. And my wife and I, Lori and I, we made the decision um, with our with our firstborn that we were going to homeschool him. Now at that time, that seemed Monica Branch Davidian. You know, it seemed weird. You know, and uh, like I know. You know, almost nobody you are was preaching to the choir. Was, yes, it, almost nobody was doing that, and even our own evangelical friends, Monica, were acting like this was weird. And did we think we were better than they were because we weren't sending our kids to the public schools the way we yeah. did? But my response to that was always, um, you know, I I don't give answer for you one day when I stand before my Lord. I give answer for me. And I'm charged um, with Deuteronomy 6, 7. You you shall teach them when they rise up, when they walk by the way. Uh, I think of Psalm 127, which says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Uh, Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. And I thought of my children in those kind of terms. This actually ties together nicely with apologetics because uh, we took the view that we were sharpening arrows that when the time was right, we would pull them from the quiver and we would aim them at the world. Uh, we did. We we sheltered our children when they were young and we were we were holding their hand and introducing them to a very wicked world and how to combat it, how to fight it. And how to prepare them to um, penetrate the corridors of power. Mm -hmm. That's what we wanted our children to do. And each of them has stood firm in the faith because they were being prepared to do that. I would say to you that, um, you know, the problems we're facing right now, the ranks of Antifa, the ranks of Black Lives Matter, 
these idiotic um, teachers that we are public school teachers that we are seeing on TikTok. Those were those were the the generation. Uh, they're the generation of my children. Um, and guess what? Um, their parents failed them. And I cannot tell you my the number of um, conversations I've had with parents who are evangelicals, who love their country, who love their God, who have read their Bibles, but who will call me and say, hey, Larry, you know, I wonder if you could come and talk to my son who is home from college and who has declared himself an atheist. And they're at a loss. They can't figure out why is it that there's this massive disconnect between what we believe and what our child believes. And I say, you know, you you were asleep at the switch. Um, Your children were being inculcated with ideas, with philosophies that were utterly hostile to everything you held dear. And guess what? You paid for it. Right. You paid for the radicalization of your children with your tax dollars and then often sending them off to um, to private uh, universities and institutions where that process just continued. Right. So I think that's that's one of the massive reasons why we find ourselves where we are. And, you know, at Fixed Point Foundation, the organization that that I direct, we have been screaming this, you know, for 20 years. Please wake up. Please understand that there were people, Monica, and I'll say this very quickly. There were people who were questioning the kind of debates that you were talking about earlier. You know, we were taking on Richard Dawkins, the the famed um, biologist, zoologist um, at Oxford University, who wrote um, in 2006, he published a mega bestseller, The God Delusion, in which he said that anybody who believes in God is, you know, basically an idiot. Christopher Hitchens and Dan Dennett, um, the cognitive scientist at Tufts University, who I debated on Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book called Breaking the Spell, again, basically saying a bestseller, saying that anyone who believed in God was an idiot. And I had Christians who were saying, Larry, these are just pointy-headed academic discussions. And I was saying to them, no, this is this is coming down to the mainstream, and it's influencing your public schools, uh, your institutions, and now we're seeing it being codified into our laws. And yes. it's the kind of stuff that's driving the World Economic Forum and elsewhere. And Christians have got to be fighting this stuff. And unfortunately, right. so many of the apologists, Monica, they're not addressing these issues. No. Not at all. Why is that? What is this, like a lack of courage? Is it because of what it's going to cost them? What is it? I think I think it's... I think there are several things at play. One of them is that I think that many apologists, quote unquote, apologists, big brand apologists, don't do any actual apologetics. Mm-hmm. You know, my my uh, tagline for you know what I do, I'm a freelance columnist and writer, is I'm your man in the field. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, you know, Jennifer Rubin, you may have just texted, uh, excuse me, um, tweeted this or someone did. I just saw this. You know, when I was in your green room, yeah. um, she she's just written in the uh, the Washington Post that if it weren't for um, the um, you know the the downturn in the economy, mm-hmm. Biden's ac- um, economic record would be unmatched. Well, I mean, what an idiotic statement! Wow. It's like saying if <laughs> you know if the Titanic hadn't sunk, it would still be floating. <laughs> I mean, that just makes no makes no sense at all. But 
the point I'm making. I try not to retweet Jennifer Rubin. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's my point yes. is that those are the kinds of conclusions you draw yeah. when you are in the um you know the 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 beltway when you're in you know sipping champagne in Manhattan and um when you you are never getting out to actually experience yes. the real world and rub elbows with real people to see what's happening That's right. in the world. And I think too many of our Christians um, our prominent Christians, I would put Beth Moore in this category. I put Russell Moore in this category, Tim Keller, based on the things that I'm hearing them saying, do you actually rub elbows with people in red um, in in red states? Or are you so insulated from the real world that you think that the issues you're tweeting about and writing about are the real issues? Right. Let me tell you, if you're an apologist and you're not addressing critical race theory, you're not addressing socialism. You're not addressing Marxism. You're not addressing transgenderism and homosexuality and uh, uh, the LGBTQ, you know, alphabet. Right. right. You are you, you're fighting the wrong battles because that's where the war is being waged. Right. Totally agree with you. It and I was gonna. I do have a question that that I need to. Add. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of questions that people have sent in. And I also have callers lined up. For those of you who are watching live, this is live, and I am taking your calls live in just a few minutes. Uh, where are we? We're at four zero four three eight three eight five two zero four zero four three eight three eight five two zero. This is live now, uh, and you're welcome to ask Larry whatever you would like to ask regarding uh, apologetics, and I would encourage you to do so while you have him. Uh, but I did have a number of people uh, call in, write in, and text, and DM, and all of that, and I also have a family member who has a question that I will pose in just a few minutes. But something- Your family member or yeah. my family member? My- <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, mine, <laughs> mine, oh, a, okay. a beloved, right, a, I know, right. A beloved family. No, most of my family thinks I'm nuts. So there you go, but it's okay. I'm used to it because I'm the Jesus girl, but it's all right. And you know, and I was the Trump supporter. I still am the Trump supporter, but you know how that goes. <laughs> it's like there, you know, there's no forgiveness for Donald Trump, Monica. Come on. So says Beth Moore. So, um, but this, I thought this was so fascinating reading your biography. Uh, it says, okay, you say that your stubbornness and your resolve, which apparently comes from your grandmother, your Irish grandmother, which totally makes sense, uh, is what took you from atheism, which you say you flirted with, okay, but ultimately you concluded that such a worldview was, quote, intellectually untenable. Okay, priceless because this is what I drew from that. So it's interesting to me because most people would never associate intellectualism with faith. The Christian church and humanists have made them successfully mutually exclusive. I see it as the arrogance of the secular humanistic and the religious spirits that says that you have to be willfully dumb to have faith as if it's blind. And the church has demonized the intellect to the point of watering down and confusing uh, what, what faith instructs us is having the mind of Christ versus the world actually looks like an everyday life application. And so I would, I love the fact that you said that you flirted with it, but that you actually found atheism to be intellectually untenable. Will you explain that? Yeah. I mean, just, 
utterly untenable. Um, the let's just take let's just take the beginning, the literal beginning. Let me tell you, if you anybody listening to us right now can help their child to produce something from absolute nothingness in the science fair, I promise you they will win. <laughs> you know, the idea that that the universe, that consciousness, all that we see um, came from absolute nothingness uh, is very hard um, for me to believe. And I love the way a Nobel Prize winner put it, the idea that, that life, that the universe, that, that the created order uh, came from nothing is about as likely as a tornado blowing through a junkyard and leaving a fully assembled 747 in its way. <laughs> it just it simply doesn't happen. So I never found that to be, um, you know, sure. plausible. Sure. And um, I, I just simply couldn't buy into that. So the bigger question for me when I was, as I say, you know, I flirted with atheism, but yeah. I... I kind of settled into a kind of deism because the question for me was not whether there was a God. I knew there had to be. Uh, I I never really doubted the existence of God. The question was, was he a personal God? Did he actually care about me? Um, Or was he simply, you know, the, the, the blind watchmaker? So that, that was the, that was the bigger question for me. Okay. And let me say this, by the way, about faith, the word faith, which has been perverted. The Bible nowhere describes faith as as the way you hear off people often talk about it is is a blind leap. Right. You know, it, rather it's it's based. Our faith is evidential. You're presented with evidence, and then you make a choice as to whether or not you believe it. For example, I have faith each day that the sun will rise. I I base that on my previous experience. Now doesn't mean it's always going to happen. I mean, the universe could explode tomorrow, but uh, based on that evidence. And, um, you know, there are, there are many things that I make, a, I make choices about. I, I board a plane and I'm having a faith in the, uh, the aircraft itself and in the pilot. And based on the airline's record, I can say I have a faith that this plane will fly and they will get me from A to B you know, safely. Well, it's the same way with belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, you look at the evidence and you consider whether or not you choose to believe or to disbelieve. Right. Yeah. I love the personal aspect of it. You know, and God knows my daughter went off to one of those private schools on the West Coast and it came back with, you know, an interesting attitude. Uh, and I call it an attitude because I'm not convinced that it's a permanent mindset. You know, an attitude is something that can be adjusted. You know, as a pilot, that's something I love. Attitudes can be adjusted. And I wish that more people would see that, that in this day and age, it's not enough for us to just write people off, right? And in terms of the partisanship that we see going on, I, and I think, I do think it's possible for us to make a, um, to make a decision, to make a decision and to make a commitment to Christ and our faith and walk that out from glory to glory. It's not just a one and done thing right? Like walk out your salvation with fear and trembling, with, with awe and reverence, with love, with respect, with curiosity, with the wonder of a child, right? Unless you come in like a child, which is why I'm convinced they're trying to molest all of our children. Unless you come in like a child, you will in no wise see it or enter therein. 
And so it's like when you're, when you're innocent, you know, and anything's possible, that's why they get them whenever they're so young with this whole Disney craziness that's going on right now. And it's like, what a shame that their imaginations would be so robbed as opposed to like in a C.S. Lewis, which I love all the Chronicles of Narnia. It's very black and white. It is very, uh, evil and good, but there's some, but there's room for growth even in that storyline, right? Where people, you know, are faced with decisions and sometimes you make bad decisions and there are consequences to those decisions that affect everyone around you. And there's no uh, hellfire and brimstone conversation about it as much as, I'm not saying that hell isn't real. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that we spend more time in that space of communicating to a lost and dying world, beginning with the church, which appears to be just as lost and just as dead as the world. And we have no idea why we can't move the needle. And it's very um, disconcerting. So, you know, I pray for my daughter. I know there were areas that I failed. There were probably areas in our lives as a widow where she was like, okay, why did that happen if God is so good? Right. I hear that a lot. If God really loves us, why did this happen? Or why are you know, people assign our crappy choices to a perfect God? Right. Where I'm just well, like, let me, let me, yeah, let, let me address that. Okay. I, I, Cause I've heard that many times, um, Monica. And yes, um, we, we pray for those we love and we have hope for them. And we certainly as Christians believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to change their lives as the Holy Spirit changed our own and continues to work on our own in that sanctifying process. But I've heard that argument many times from people. It often is a cop-out for unbelief to say, well, this terrible thing happened. Look at what happened with COVID. Look at what happened with world wars. Look at what happened with this or that famine. Well, let's consider the alternative. The alternative says that there's no justice, there's no meaning, there's no hope, and it's all utterly pointless. Right. So, um, you know, <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, the, the scriptural argument, I would invite anyone who takes that position because, uh, to investigate because the scriptural argument is that it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Right. Uh, he created a perfect world and he placed us in it and we chose, we made sinful choices and the Lord said, have it your way. Um, you make you we make the the same decisions, you know, regarding our children, regarding right. others. I can't make that decision for you. I would say to you, it's probably not uh, the best choice to go out and party until two in the morning. Nothing sure. good happens after eleven o'clock. Hello, you know, but <laughs> especially in Atlanta, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the you know, our our God is a respecter of choice. Sure, He allows you to make your own choices. Right, and I love the way Jeremiah two thirteen puts it. Um you know, that, that tells us that he is the font of living water. He is a fountain of living water, but that we choose to drink from cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The biblical picture is that we, we're like our dog. You know, I, I take my dog outside and he will drink from mud puddles. And I'm thinking, I just put a, 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 a <laughs> clean, clear bowl of water right. on the floor. Why are you drinking that crap? Correct. And uh, and that's what we do. That's a biblical that's a biblical picture of yes. who we are. Yes. So it's not God's fault that we find the world um the way that it is, but we do pray for his mercy, we pray for forgiveness, right. and we pray for him to give us a voice yeah. and, and a place in pushing back. And that's again what apologetics is. Yeah. 
I love it. Okay, I'm going to go to uh, my first question on here. And then actually, this is my question. Uh, Then I want to go to another one. And I want to get to some callers because I see people on hold, which is awesome. Again, we are live. If you're watching this on Twitter or YouTube, welcome to the Monica Matthews Show, Life, Love, and Politics, here with the uh, illustrious, prolific author, profound thinker, scholar. uh, Right up there next to someone else I admire greatly in this space is Eric Metaxas. Uh, Larry Alex Taunton is with us today. Well, and, very uh, kind to say so. Yeah, Eric's great. Uh, both of you gentlemen just do the faith, a world of justice. Thank you. And we're taking your calls at 404 3835 8520. Let's hear what they got to say. Okay, so, uh, so you refer to ideologies such as fascism, Marxism, intellectualism, and CRT in a non-mutually exclusive manner and then refer to them collectively as dehumanizing ideologies. As an apologist, why and what should Christianity's response be? Well, um, listen, um, all of those, all of those that you just named, they spring forth from socialism. And socialism, I love the way Dostoevsky put it in the Brothers Karamazov, you know, the, uh, the Russian writer, you know, who died in uh, 1881, um, I think, in his, uh, his great novel, The Brothers Karamazov, where he assails socialism. And Dostoevsky, by the way, was himself a socialist and an atheist. And he would say that the two go together. I have called um, socialism in my book, The Grace Effect, my very first book, which incidentally is about the histories of Russia and Ukraine and uh, and socialism. Uh, Socialism is uh, atheism masquerading as political philosophy. So Dostoevsky believed that as a Christian, he had to fight it. And as Christians, we have to fight it. Unfortunately, many Christians mistake it for Christianity because it cleverly, you know, packages itself as having a, a kind of Christian veneer. But at its core, it is utterly godless. And critical race theory comes from that. I would argue the Me Too movement is deeply influenced um, by socialism with the idea of intersectionality. And um, Black Lives Matter definitely springs from a socialist worldview. And uh, they believe that they can recreate, they're rather not recreate, that they can create a utopia on earth. Yes. And as Christians, we know that there will be no utopia, not, not in this life. Right. And we know that, that uh, man is basically evil. And all of us, each and every one of us, we have a bent towards evil. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, uh, which speaks of you know, sin and death entering the world through Adam and salvation coming through um, one man in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, which interestingly enough leads to a more compassionate worldview because you and I know that we need grace. And as our hearts are transformed inwardly, we exhibit it outwardly. And that's why nations that are deeply influenced by the gospel tend to be very generous countries and societies where grace tends to be codified into our law. You know, where a guy like Jefferson, for instance, said it's better that 10 guilty men go free than that one innocent one um, should be convicted of something he didn't do. Right. Well, this is very this stands in sharp contrast to the Chinese you know, legal system <laughs> right. or the North Korean or, or, or the Russian right. legal system. So 
So we as Christians, we're setting forth a Christian worldview over and against those ideas. Well, speaking of codification, okay, so the next question was, should we allow our religious beliefs uh, to dictate and the creation of laws that ultimately affect views on abortion, gender identity, uh, transsexuality, homosexuality, etc. Um, I would say, well, and my note to this was, I would say that those views are now actually affecting those laws and the codification thereof. And so what is your answer to that? This is actually from a young uh, person in their twenties who has no, has never had a real affiliation with anything of faith, uh, was raised somewhat in it as a child, but has very sincere questions. Uh, and this is one of them. So what do you say to the young people who say, Hey, why are we using religious beliefs to dictate, you know, how people are accepted or, you know, whether or not we can actually, and I know this person would not agree with this, but this is where it's going. And I'm trying to get this person to see this, right? That we start out on this slippery gray slope in society. And before you know it, they're marrying 10 year olds off to 40 year old men. So, you know, how do you, I know that sounds extreme, but that's where we're going. And people actually practice that all over the world. <laughs> so uh, so it's not out of the realm of possibilities here, as we can see. So what do you say to a young person with that argument or well, question? Well, first, first, let me say this to you, if because you were asking me how long I could be with you, and I can be with you longer if need be. So okay. I've, received, uh, Excellent. I've received a notification. Good, because we have callers. <laughs> that, that I'm being pushed off just, uh, just a little bit for my next okay. interview. Thank you. But I, what I would want to ask that person is, what are the what's the alternative? Um, if we're we're not going to take um, you know use as a basis for our laws um, some sort of um, religious um, you know foundation, what's the alternative? Secularism? What has secularism given us um, in the twentieth century alone? Secular regimes killed more than a hundred and fifty million people. That's more than all religious wars in all previous centuries combined. Now let that sink in for just a moment. So the idea that secularism can give us um, rash, uh, a, a rational moral basis is is deeply flawed. It simply cannot. So uh, Muslim societies are based on, you know, Islamic law and they draw it from their own religion. Um, but this comes back to what we were just talking about. The interesting thing is uh, grace is not a central feature of um, the Muslim faith. It's not, and therefore it's not a central feature of Islamic law. Um, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, the Saudis beheaded, what was it? 50 people. Um, I think it is, you know, the lopping off of hands and these kinds of things. Right. A, a grace is not codified into their law. The, the foundation of Western civilization, in fact, the moral foundation of that very question comes from a Judeo-Christian worldview, which is the basis of our entire society. Right. So it, the idea that secularists have, you know, guys like Hitchens and Dawkins and Dennett and Sam Harris, that you can come along and you can kick out the foundation of Western civilization, which is a Judeo-Christian worldview, and that you can somehow keep everything else. You kick out the, you know, the foundation, but you can keep the superstructure is sheer nonsense. I love the way T.S. Eliot put it. And that is this, if Christianity goes, the whole culture goes. Correct. 
Yeah, and I would argue that our entire due process, our constitution, due process, which by the way, America is something that other countries do not uh, have the luxury. Uh, speaking of privilege, right? That I would consider that a God given and God breathed and inspired privilege that we have due process that in and of itself is like the epitome of grace, right? Well, at least we did before, you know, November of 2020. Now everything's kind of like in flux, but you know, I, but I, but I still stand that the Lord is still on the throne. Uh, but we are contending the with assumption of innocence. Yes. The presumption of innocence. Thank you. Is, you know, comes straight from a Judeo Christian worldview. The burden right. proof is on the state. Apparently it isn't with the January 6th um, people, right. but that is the, that is the basis um, of our law. Yes. And by the way, when we stay within the parameters of that worldview, we find safety in there. Increasingly, um, we are facing, we are finding, and this is whether you're a Christian um, or not, more and more people feel that American society has become destabilized, and not by January 6th people, but by the kind of people who would tell you that a man can get pregnant, who would tell you that a woman can be a man and vice versa. That's the kind of insanity you embrace right. when you suppress belief in God. And I would say to any would-be you know, apologists out there, read Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, which says that when you suppress belief in God, you you then um, you pervert the truth, and ultimately it leads you to the perversion of life itself. So you you become untethered from reality, and you embrace any form of um, uh, bizarre worldviews. So that the idea that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man is is like saying. It's natural for a human being to walk on their hands. Right. Well, no, anatomy itself tells you it isn't. Right. But you see how rapidly in a short period of time, as this virulent form of atheism has made its way into the halls of government, uh, into Disney, into uh, our forms of entertainment and elsewhere throughout our society, our educational system, we are now embracing, it's become a, a, a circus of the absurd. Agreed. All right, let's go to someone who's been holding for quite some time. We're going to go to Christopher in Missouri. Christopher, welcome to the Monica Matthew Show. Can you hear us? Hey, how, how's it going? Hey, good. What's your question for Larry? So, um, really quick, um, so sorry here, um, really quick, um, I was listening in and I have like a gazillion other thoughts now, but, um, but my question, um, for Larry is in this new age technology world where these new generations, um, are, uh, well, the parents and the kids, like quite frankly, are on social media and that's kind of how they interact now. How, um, what is your take on the apologetics versus the fine line of apologetics and evangelism? through social media um, and whether one turns the, turns another off or the, that fine line there? Uh, Chris, I, I hope I'm answering your question when I say, first of all, go to my website at Larry Alex Taunton. That's T-A-U-N-T-O-N, LarryAlexTaunton.com. And there you'll find every, every article I write, every interview, Monica's 
interview will eventually be uh, be staged there. But you'll find an article that I've written on this called The Problem with Apologetics, and it will give you a more thorough um, discussion of this. But apologetics, uh, uh, apologetics and evangelism go hand in hand, but they don't always have the same purpose, meaning um, people have always understood, it seems to me, that apologetics is always has the aim of converting an individual. Well, biblically speaking, that's not true. Um, you know, David um, went on the field of battle to take on Goliath, what I call, you know, physical apologetics. He wasn't out there to convert Goliath. He was out there to defeat him. Um, we see at various times Jesus encountering the Sadducees and the Pharisees, where his purpose isn't to convert them. His pur- purpose is to expose their arguments as spurious um, and as a barrier to belief, you know, for other people. You know, people would say to me, Larry, when you go on stage with a, with a guy like a Christopher Hitchens or a Daniel Dennett or you're engaging a Richard Dawkins is, do you really think that guy's going to convert? No, I don't. But I hope that other people who are watching will see the holes that we're punching in their arguments and thus make it easier for them to believe. So now when it comes to something like social media, um, social media is, as you know, it's, uh, it's double-edged. Um, frankly, I hate it. I think it's led to the, the barbarization you know, of our culture. I don't think we find where we are in the culture without social media. If there were no Facebook, if there were no Twitter, no Instagram, I don't think we are looking at anything like the DEF CON you know, um, I forget in which direction it goes, DEFCON 2, you know, kind of scenario, we find ourselves um, in on, um, you know, this, that this sexual anarchy and the, you know, political anarchy we find our in, uh, ourselves in. I, I think social media has pushed ourselves in this direction. I think it's good that Christians are engaging and are sharing their worldview. Unfortunately, though, I think that many of them think that going out there and, and putting a quick post on Facebook is, you know, my job is done. You know, I, I did my evangelism or my apologetics for the day. And I want to say, no, at the end of the day, it's, it's about engaging, you know, real people. I sat right here by my fireplace, you know, a couple of months with a young man who's very interested in doing what I do for a living. And it led to a lengthy discussion. I, he wasn't somebody I knew, but he had reached out to me and asked if he could meet with me. I agreed to meet with him, and we sat right here, and I, I shared my faith with him. And a couple of days ago, I got a text from him saying he had received Christ and was just baptized as a result of that conversation. I just came from South America, where I've had the opportunities to do the same thing you know, with, with other people face-to-face. And that's the real hard work where you're rolling up your sleeves and you're getting into the lives of, um, of other people. So yes, engage in the, uh, social media world, but don't think that's, that's the end of it. Right. Chris, does that answer your question? Yeah, it sure does. And let me, let me, just on a follow-up, do you, do you see, um, with these new apps like TikTok and all these other things, do you see that becoming more difficult or, um, or easier to um, combat our, you know, uh, and fight for these kids that are obviously being shown, um, uh, you know, way, way, way different harder. stuff than we were at the age. 
way harder. I would not let my child, um, again, I would fall into a rare category and probably be accused of child abuse today. (laughs) I see parents being um, so incredibly permissive with their children where I think there's, you know, I, I spanked my children. My, my wife spanked um, our children. We disciplined our children. Uh, we used corporal discipline um, for acts of defiance. Um, that was, you know, where we drew the line on that. Um, we didn't give our children just every sort of electronics. There's no way my, my child has a phone um, and is, you know, is, you know, all over the internet and doing whatever they want to do in the privacy um, of their bedrooms. It is a, there are things that parents would never let through their front doors that is coming through the portal of the internet. It is straight out of uh, the pit of hell. And um, that is another uh, major thing. And I hear, you know, used to, when, when I was teaching, when I left graduate school, I, st- I taught in a prestigious preparatory school for a time. And I would have parents say to me, Larry, could you say something to my daughter about the way she dresses? And I'm thinking, what? Right. You you want me to do that? Right. Why don't you say something to her before she leaves the house? Right. I don't know the difference between the spaghetti straps and the linguine. <laughs> I remember that was a, that was a that was part of part of the discussion. Linguine you say straps. About her skirt. Yes. Um, we've you know, we've the, devolved the from ling- from linguine to spaghetti straps. So yeah, yeah, we're, we yeah okay. <laughs> but I mean, parents asking me to do their job, and I'm thinking my job is to educate your child. My job is not not to police, you know, their, their behavior outside of this institution. And that's your job. But so many parents, um, because they're feeling the pressure of other parents, which again comes by virtue of the fact that you have these, these, you know, your children horrible institutions in the first place. That's right. They're giving their kids cell phones. They're giving them, you know, their own laptops. Uh, their faces are buried in these things and the privacy and, and who knows what they're doing. I would definitely not let them um, be on any kind of social media. Sure. Uh, I'm glad to see that my own children, you know, do almost nothing on social media. That's great. That's good. I think, I think that's very wise. Yeah. And honestly, if I, if this was not my lane of profession, you would not find me on social Same media. Here. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Yeah. We've I talked about better, this. I hate all of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, our world requires us to engage there. It does. It does. And you know what? And I and we're going to go to Chris and, uh, to Chad in Minnesota in just a moment. Um, and you guys, I am taking live calls. If you're Chad, watching this on, check, why plug up? Why yeah. plug up my laptop? Absolutely, go for it. Yeah, you're Hang good. You're good. So. If you're watching this live on Twitter or YouTube, I'm taking your calls live on the Monica Matthews Show, Life, Love, and Liberty. We are speaking with a world-renowned scholar on really all things history, apologetics, anything to do with religion. He has debated. Listen, you cannot stump this man. It's impossible. Many have tried very publicly, and I, in my humble opinion, failed. So, And I don't say that with any level of arrogance as much as, wow. You know, thank you for taking the time uh, to actually study, right? To show yourself approved is what the word says. And so we're taking your calls at 404-383-8520, 404-383-8520, taking your live calls. And Chad, I'm going to go to you in just a minute. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, Larry and I have talked about this offline where it's like, ugh, social media. And there will be days, I mean, the only thing I'm that I'm on 
is Twitter, um, what else, barely hanging on on Telegram because they demote my account by about 600 followers a day. I had over 88,000 followers, now down to like 38,000. And the more active I am, the faster that number decreases. Uh, So I know it's not just throttling. It's crazy, whatever. I love you guys on Twitter. Thank you very much. And if I ever just suddenly evaporate into the ether of the, you know, the pathological, uh, you know, communism, fascism, socialism, all the isms uh, of the online Nazis, then you can always find me at my website right? MonicaMatthews.com. And uh, my information will be there as well. Hey, and before I forget, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go to MyPillow.com. <laughs> I need you to use my code to get a pillow or a bathrobe or some house slippers or a pet bed or a pet blanket or all these things that they sell that I had no idea MyPillow.com sells, but they do. And if you use my name, Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A in the code, don't forget that Monica in the code, you will get up to 66% off. Okay. Without further ado, let me get back to Mr. Larry Taunton. All right. You you all plugged in. You ready to go? Yeah. I I saw up here, you know, it's flashing. (laughs) You're like, oh crap. Yeah. We're about to go dead. (laughs) Uh, That has actually happened to me on live television. Uh, Yeah. It was bad. My computer just went, see ya. And I thought, wow, uh, way to be prepared, Monica. Okay, so let me go over here to, uh, you know, my audience knows that, listen, if I'm producing my own stuff, y'all are just going to have to have some grace and mercy because I don't pretend <laughs> to know every little thing that I'm doing. I'm just doing it, and I have fun doing it, and I'm very grateful to be here, and I'm grateful that I have an audience, but I'm not all hung up on this thing, you know, trying to be perfect. Okay, so let's go to Chad in Minnesota. Welcome, Chad. How are you? It's Chad Prather, is it? Oh my gosh! <laughs> is it Chad Prather? If it's Chad Prather, I'm hanging up. <laughs> no, no, this is uh, no, this is Chad from your Bible study. Oh hi, how are All you? Right. Welcome. I'm so yeah. Well, we would welcome Chad Prather too, in case he's watching. Uh, yeah. So no hurt feelings, but hey, Chad. So what is your question for Larry? Um, I just I just took your suggestion and you know, popped in today for the show. But my question for Larry is, uh, how does one begin to defend their faith when they've never been in a situation like that before or with a family that's very, um, with the isms and democratic and all that stuff? How does one go about that? Um, Chad, uh, did you serve in the military? Yeah, I did, the U.S. Navy. Okay. Chad, what did they do to prepare you for um, for actual combat, for warfare? Uh, training. Absolutely. You, Repetition. You, you have to have your first time out, right? You, um, you have to have your first time out. And so what I would say to you right. is um, the only way, you know, just as, as you discovered, the only way you could prepare for combat, the only way – you will ever be effective in combat is by doing it. Um, And similarly, uh, the only way that you'll be effective at apologetics is you have to get out there and do it. I love the way one of my coaches, you know, I'm I'm from the state of Alabama and every child here, at least when I was growing up, we all played football. And, um, you know, my first year of playing football, which will be funny to some of you live outside the state, um, I was six, you know, so we, we started extremely early 
And I can recall my coach saying, just get out there, son, and hit somebody. <laughs> just hit somebody. Well, apologetics, you just got to get out there and um, engage. And don't feel like you have to have all the answers. You know, I quoted First Peter 3.15. You know, it's where we get the, 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 the word, the term apologetics. Always be ready to give answer for the hope or always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Well, that doesn't mean um, that you have to be able to answer all the scientific questions or you have to have all the answers on the, you know, on the historicity of the person of Jesus and the resurrection and the manuscripts. And none of us are able to defend the totality of Christian belief. I like what Frederick the Great, who was a rather clever strategist, said, he who would defend all defends nothing. Sensible minds focus on the essentials. Well, as Christians, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, give answer for the hope that is in you. Chad, you don't have to give answer for the hope that is in me or that is in Monica or in someone else, but can you tell your story about how Jesus Christ changed your life? And when someone tries to pin you down and say, yeah, but Chad, what, what, what about Old Testament violence? Chad, what about um, you know, the fact that there's evil in the world? I recall a, um, a young woman some years ago, uh, a friend of mine, she wrote to me and she said, um, I need your help. And I said, how? And she said, well, I was at my 10 year um, college anniversary and I bumped into my old roommate and she said, you know, when I was in college, she said, I wasn't a believer and I did a number of things that I was, you know, I was ashamed of. And uh, my roommate knew that, you know, I was a partier. Um, she was a partier. We were in a sorority together. And she said, and now here I am 10 years later and I bump into her and she, and she asked me how I'm doing and I tell her I've become a Christian. And she sneers and she starts asking me all these questions about, you know, the resurrection, about science, about all these things. And I keep saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And so I wrote back to her and I said, well, how did the conversation end? She said, well, I finally just said to her, look, you can keep answering, asking me these questions, and I can keep, can keep telling you, I don't know. I knew, do know people who do know the answers to these questions, but I don't personally know them. All I can tell you is that my life is different now than it was then. And I said to her, and then what? And she said, she walked away. And I said, look, you don't need my help. You handled that beautifully. She wasn't sincerely interested in talking about how Jesus had changed your faith. She just wanted to mock you. And the moment you took it to the personal, which is where you have to eventually go anyway, she was, it was uncomfortable for her and she left. And she did exactly what 1 Peter 3.15 says you must do. Defend the hope that is in you. You can do it, Chad. That's awesome. Thanks for calling, Chad. I appreciate you. And thank, and yeah, I love the fact that someone from my Bible study was here. By the way, for those of you uh, who would like to join me in the next six weeks that God has ordained us to keep moving in this thing called discernment, uh, that is the topic. And I believe we're going to stay on that. You guys are welcome to hit me up at Monica at MonicaMatthews.com. And in the subject matter, uh, subject line, put Bible study. Happy to sign you up for that. So, and you don't have to be a scholar or anywhere, even on the 
spectrum of Christianity at all. You can you can just be wanting to dip your toe in the water, and I, I have total faith that whomever shows up is exactly who's supposed to be there, so make sure you do that. Uh, we are going to, I, you guys, my phone lines are open, but I've held Larry a really long time. If there's one more caller, you're welcome to call in at 404-383-8520. And I love what you just said, though, um, Larry, with regard to, you know, it is personal, right? But a lot of people will say, well, that that's actually their excuse for not engaging because they'll say, well, it's personal to me and it's personal to others, which usually tells me that they don't Complete really nonsense. have a defense, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. If, if your faith is a private faith, I question your faith. <laughs> so right. I, certainly there are aspects of our faith sure. that, that are private. Of course. Um, I have have sweet conversations, you know, with, with my God. Yeah. Um, about my own failings, about my own doubts, about my own struggles uh, that I don't make public. Um, right. But but my faith is is ultimately you know practiced in the the public square square sure. failures and successes and everything in between. Right, I like that failures and successes. Yes, it would be it would be great to just allow people to fail. Right, and so again. I go back to the, you know, the Beth Moores of the world who just happen to believe that the blood of Christ or people who are into this whole reparations movement and the people who bow at that altar just drive me nuts, mainly because to me, it's such an affront to the blood of Christ, which that covers all sins for all of eternity, including our national sins. And so I'm like, how can you be a Christian and know uh, the value of the blood that was shed for you and for every part, you know, we celebrate the blood that humans, uh, well, Jesus was a human, but you know what I'm saying? People in military shed for us, for our liberty, but we have a very difficult time understanding the mystery of the gospel, which is that blood is shed for every person under creation or in creation, whether or not God already said, not every man would be saved, although he wishes that they would. And so, but that doesn't mean that you just, you bow at the altar of every secular God, uh, the academic God, the, you know, the, the race card God, all of this craziness that people are bowing to right now. And as someone who, you know, I'll tell you this, I have, uh, like I said at the beginning of my show, I have walked a very windy, straight road with the Lord for the past 22 years, uh, 23 years, right after my husband died. And I was desperate enough that I didn't care what color God was, what planet he was from. I didn't care any of that. I needed God. I, I needed him to reveal himself to me outside of the orthodoxy that I had been raised in, Greek Orthodox. And I needed something intimate. I needed something personal. I was desperate. I had just buried my husband. I was a widow. I was raising a child on my own. My life was crazy. I was living crazy. Everything around me was nuts. It just did not make sense. And so I was like, if you're there, I'm not going to make it unless you show up because I, everything is crumbling around me. And that's one of the scriptures opened for me. And it was just, it was a love fest. It was a feeding frenzy. It was a drinking frenzy. Like I could not stop drinking from that well. And, but since then, you know, the cares of the world and stress and fear and doubt and unbelief and being a widow for all of these years and not clinging to the hem of Jesus the entire time. You know, now my ministry is geared toward mainly the prodigals. 
you know, and some people are prodigals, not once, but twice, you know, where they have, they keep coming back with a spirit of contrition. Or three or four times. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so it's a contrite heart is, is something that God does not despise and he is near to the brokenhearted. And so it, the spirit of religion is something I have zero tolerance for. And you know why? Because like you, um, God through a horrible series of events with my daughter's health led me into full-time ministry and, um, and sitting across from people, like you said, rolling up your sleeves, getting into the muck and the mud and the mire, not getting dirty myself, simply showing up and being a place with here's, here's my compassion as your sister and as a fellow human and then here's the word who's going to minister to you and going to put your life back together and fill up all of those holes that I cannot fill up as a minister. I can't fill up as a psychologist, which I'm not, thankfully. I can't fill up as a medical doctor. I cannot fill up as a politician, not even your mother or your grandmother, right? This is the work of Jesus Christ through his word. And so showing up with that and watching the power of God move in people's lives is something I can't deny. And so when it comes to dealing with people who just count on me for their faith, or they count on you and your teachings and your travels, or they live vicariously through us or, or anyone else for that matter, I'm like, nope, that's not how it's going to roll. I'm not going to stand there with you on judgment day. I'm going to stand in front of my own and I'm still trying to work my way through that. But you know, it's like, gosh, it's so the feast is there. It's resurrection season. You know, this is a, this is an Easter. This is resurrection. This is resurrection season. So it's like, get the things together that are dead in your life and cast them at the foot of that cross and allow Christ through the scriptures to resurrect your life. But you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking your time to be here with us today and for all of our little technical things that we had working. <laughs> I do appreciate you greatly, sir. Hey, it's uh, it's been great to be with you. And let me let me let me say this, Monica, in response to something that you you just said at, at the beginning there. You know, speaking of Beth Moore reparations, you know, BLM, yeah. all this kind of stuff. While I very much encourage people um, to get out and in, engage in apologetics. I don't even like using the word, by the way, I do not refer to myself as an apologist. I refer to myself as a, you know, I'm, I'm a freelance columnist. I'm a cultural commentator. Sure. This is what I do. Um, but encouraging people to get out there and do that and engage the battle. Um, I want to caution, caution people not to engage where they don't have competence. And I will say this unflinchingly, Beth Moore Russell Moore, um, David French, um, Tim Keller, um, many others, they're engaging on issues where they have no competence. Um, Tim Keller, the tweets that I see, these these lengthy uh, um, tweet threads where he is speaking um, authoritatively um, on issues like um, let's say um, socialism, which is one of his favorite topics. Um, I come away thinking you, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And furthermore, uh, I've seen Beth Moore tweeting on a number of these issues. In, in, in other words, they, there are relationships between them. They're taking you know confidence and courage from each other to speak out on issues where they just simply 
they don't have the wherewithal to be speaking on these issues. Right. And it's very frustrating because they're leading a generation straight off a theological cliff. Yes. So it's okay to say when you're asked questions, I don't know, or it's okay to say, you know, that's not a field that I feel like I'm competent, you know, to adjudicate right. on. Um, when I uh, picked a fight, as it were, um, I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek with Richard Dawkins, the, the Oxford biologist on scientific issues, we did a massive, you know, debate on that. I did not set myself forward as the person who would debate him. Mm -hmm. I went and got an unknown by the name of John Lennox, a mathematician at Oxford and a philosopher of science to take him on. John is now, you know, the C.S. Lewis of our time. He's a, he's a rock star. But I got John to do that because I knew John was, was well qualified to do that. There was no way I'm following, you know, Richard Dawkins into the, into the tall grass um, right. on, on those kind of issues. Cause I'm, I'm not qualified to do that. I'll take him on on the historicity right. um, of, of scripture. I'll take him on on the philosophy, but not on the science. He'll grab me by the floaties and take me to the deep end of the pool and drown me there. So right. um, unfortunately I think a, a lot of damage is being done to the Christian faith by people who are right now speaking with great authority on things they don't know a thing about. That's right. 1000% agree with you. And that, that was part Thanks of for having me. Of course. That, of, absolutely. Love to have you. You're welcome back anytime. That was part of my frustration and part that was, that was a lot of the, of the beacon that, that drew me to, okay, we are absolutely speaking the same language. Uh, people outside of their lanes. So thank you for manning your lane and for doing it with uh, humility and with wisdom well, and knowledge. You. I appreciate you. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you, sir. Hey, Monica, listen, you take care and uh, best to you. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to more of your callers. No, you're good. If they have questions, they can tweet <laughs> me or you know, email us at LarryAlexTaunton.com. Talk Excellent. to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. So there you have it. I almost just banned Larry from my studio. Uh, so I'm not a producer, as you guys know. But I am having a ton of fun. And you know why? Because you guys are so merciful and you're so gracious. And thank you so much for your patience. I, you know, all, a lot of my colleagues, uh, like, who's really good at live streaming? You know who's really good at that is, um, is my, fin- my friend Wayne Dupree. He said something really interesting to me in a tw- in a tweet yesterday. I um, called upon my fellow blue checks to whether or not, mainly I was like, has anyone covered this story um, about this monster in North Dakota who had literally raped a three-month-old child and was sentenced to four years until... The judge found out, oh, that he lied on his letters of recommendation to the court. So Judge Reich uh, in North Dakota, uh, on the Supreme Court, I, I presume, I believe, uh, thought, well, since you lied to me, I know you raped a four-month-old. And because of whatever the facts are, and I don't really care what public outcry is, which were his words, um, I'm going to give you four years. But because you lied to the court, you're going to get 14. So... I was like, what the, and I, I use some choice language because I'm one of those 
battle axes that the Lord is still dealing with, you know, my potty mouth sometimes. Uh, you know what? But I'll roll up my sleeves and kick some butt on any day whenever it comes to our children. I'm just telling you right now, I will go to task on any piece of legislation I need to ask anyone in Georgia. I've done it. I'm not afraid. Because if you're not going to defend the innocent, you have no right to call yourself a Christian outside of being a Christian in name only. Sorry, because that's part of our charge, right? So let's get back to the story. So I tweet to all of these blue checks who, you know, are within my probably one degree of separation. And Wayne Dupree responds, I'm surprised you've included me in this because (laughs) most of the people in this thread don't consider me a conservative. And I'm like, that's weird. I would consider Wayne Dupree a conservative, wouldn't you? He's great. If you're not following him, you should. That's my plug for Wayne Dupree. I love his work. He's a fantastic soul. He's a very gentle soul. And he's like spot on and millions of people love him. So I was kind of surprised to hear that. But I, I'm, what I'm doing is like, hey, guys, has anyone else covered this? And thank you, Kyle Becker and Sarah Carter and a few others who were like, hey, you know, what is going on with this story? It's the first time I've heard about it. So... Uh, I realized this is a couple of years old that the crime happened, and I realized that he was sentenced two years ago, okay? But this just made its way across my threshold, and the fact that this judge is still sitting on the bench should really disturb you, so much so that you would call the governor's office of North Dakota and let him know that. So I'm about to start that campaign, and hopefully the governor will come on and talk with us about how he feels about having judges who take a mindset and a heart set of leniency for people who rape and crush the ribs of three-month-olds. Yes, folks, that is the America in which we live today. And it is really sad. It is a, uh, it is an abomination. What is happening to our children is an abomination. There's no other way around it. We are without excuse as the church. You know, we build buildings and we have additions and and we send people over to minister to other countries and plant seeds and and that's wonderful. But we don't plant seeds in our own soil here. We have open borders. Some of you think that's a Jesus thing because some of you actually still believe Jesus was a socialist, which is mind-blowing. And um, you don't take care of your own home first. Right, And you think that some of this is not within your purview. All of it is within your purview. And it is actually a mandate on behalf of the Lord for us as Christians to engage, which was the entire reason that I started my show six years ago, which was calling people forth from their Jesus recliners. You know who you are. Y'all are sitting around waiting for Jesus to return. I always see your beautiful little memes and your hashtag, God wins. Right? Like, because the meme of the day, because you tweeted it, That settles it, right? Larry said that just a few minutes ago. Y'all are like armchair warriors for Jesus. But whenever it comes to having to deal with someone who is doxing you, threatening your life, threatening your profession, firing you over your theology, calling you a racist for your theology. Yes. So I have very little sympathy or compassion for those of you who just hide behind your little Bibles and your Sunday services, and you just don't want to rock the boat. 
but you want to get on Twitter and act all badass and, uh, and follow people like me and cheer me on. And that's wonderful. I appreciate it. But if you're not beside me, if you're not out there making a difference in your own community, beginning in your own home, I end every single one of my shows. Be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And if you are an American, act like one. You can buy one of my t-shirts to remind you of it every time you look in the mirror and people around you. You can buy mugs and, and, uh, and I called it a thermos, but apparently that's old people speak. So this is a tumbler now. Okay, you can purchase one of my tumblers to remind people, uh, a coffee mug, a cap, to remind people that if you're an American, act like one. Well, what does that mean? If you're a Christian, act like one. Can you imagine if I if I created a t-shirt with that? Some of you professional plagiarists out there, I can't wait to see who runs with it first. You know who you are. So, yes, God first, America always. <laughs> I can't resist. Anyway, I'm such a smart butt. Okay, I love you guys. Uh, Thank you for being here with me. And uh, we will be back at another time. Larry Alex Taunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N. Go check out his website. You will not be sorry that you did. He has his own podcast. He is a prolific writer. Uh, has uh, every single debate he's ever been a part of is on his website. You will be smarter, you will be equipped, you will be wiser, and you will have more peace in your life for having done so. All right, remember, head over to my website, monicamatthews.com backslash gold co. monicamatthews.com backslash gold co, right? Because you, the economy's nuts. We have no idea what's going to happen in the coming days. Some of you are counting on Bitcoin and Ether and pretend universes and all of that. Good on you. But I'm sticking with like the gold and the silver and the you know precious metals that the Lord himself done put in this earth for us to be able to retire with, right? Things that don't lose their value. <laughs> Things that man can't pull a plug on as much as he tries. So go over there and check that out. MonicaMatthews.com backslash gold co. Great, great, great information for you. If you have a Roth IRA, if you've got 401k, you're looking for savings to put it in a safe place, that's the place for you to go and learn more. Also, if you want a good night's sleep, mypillow.com. That's right. Go order some pillows and think holy thoughts whenever you crawl into your bed after using my code name, which is Monica, to get up to 66% off on your next purchase at mypillow.com. Until next time, thank you all for being here with me. You know where to find me. Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Y'all can have that spy channel. But I am MonicaMatthews.com. Everything you need is right there, baby. God bless you. Be good to your neighbor beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, go buy one of my t-shirts and act like one.